0: Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. This morning we're going to conclude the Grow series as we continue looking at ways in which believers in Christ can grow their faith. Remember in this series we're taking the word grow and we're using it as an acronym, as a four-part acronym for how a believer can grow in Christ. We've already learned that believers grow in their faith when they get involved in the ministry of a local church. We've already learned that the believers will grow in their faith as they read the Word of God. Last week we talked about how believers grow as they observe and serve, as they look for ways, look for ways they can serve. They identify the needs of the church and they find ways to fill those needs because they are observant. This week we're going to see that that believers will also grow in their faith when they witness to others. You know, over the years, God has given me the pleasure of leading many people to Christ. I have had the honor to share the gospel and to lead folks to the Lord. Just this week, I got a text message from a young man that I had the pleasure of leading to the Lord at a D-Now weekend about seven or eight years ago. The week before that, I ate lunch with another young man that I had the pleasure of leading to the Lord at Super Summer uh, maybe six or seven years ago. You know, God has called that young man into into the ministry and so we got to catch up and talk about some of those things. But you know, those two young men are guys that I got to lead to the Lord through my ministry as a student pastor, as a young adult pastor, as an, an associate pastor on staff at a church. But you know, the truth is is that God has given me favor to talk to many people as well outside of the ministry of the church. In fact, before I was on staff at a church, I had the pleasure of leading people to Christ as well. I, and I can't remember all of them, but 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 I, I can remember a few. I remember working as a decision counselor at a Phillips Craig and Dean concert in the mid to late 1990s. As a teenager my job was to be available to talk to other teens as they came forward to Receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to talk with them, share the gospel with them, lead them through that process, pray with them, encourage them. And so I remember at that concert all those years ago leading maybe even three people to the Lord. I was blessed in those days to have been baptized and trained to share the gospel in a church that was passionate about evangelism. If you ever went to the Hereafter House at Holland Chapel over in Benton in the late 1990s or 2000s, you probably would have seen me. I was one of the people that got up at the end of the presentation and, and I'm one of the people that would share the gospel. I'm one of the people that would sit down and counsel and talk to people and prayed with those who needed to talk about the things of the Lord. I remember going on a visitation with a man who was the associate pastor at the time of the church where I was attending. He was my associate pastor there. One evening we visited a lady who had visited the church, so this lady had come to the church. And so in response to that, we went to visit her house. When we got there that evening, we walked into a house down by the Saline River that had no electricity, and she was sitting there by candlelight, and we got to sit down in her living room and visit with her, shared the gospel with her, and got to lead her to Christ. You know, in those days, I realized that that was a really Really big deal. I realized even then that that was huge, what I was getting to experience. But one thing that I did not realize in those days is how big of a deal that it would be to me. And how it grew me as a believer. Because listen, learning to share my faith with others grew my faith personally. It taught me to rely on God. It gave me firsthand experience seeing the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work. Friends, if you want to grow your faith, find ways to share your faith. Find ways to be a witness. This morning, we're going to take a look at a passage in Acts 20. And as we do, we will see the result of a person whose faith grew because he was personally committed to witnessing. So we're in Acts chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 22 and read to verse 32. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says... And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you will ever see my face again, everyone I went about preaching the kingdom to. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed to you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not separating the flock. And men will rise up from... "...your own numbers with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the message of his grace, which is able to build up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the words that we see, the words of Paul, the words of a man who was committed to being a witness for Christ. Father, help us to understand how important it is that we too, as believers and as disciples, would seek to be a witness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when it comes to the gospel, believers and unbelievers actually have something in common. Both groups of people, both believers and unbelievers, seem to be uncomfortable talking about the gospel. In a recent Barna study, we see that believers in Christ are greatly conflicted when it comes to evangelism. And you can see the survey results from, from generation to generation, older generations are more likely to share the gospel and younger generations of people who say that they believe in Christ, the younger the generation, the less likely they are to be willing to share the gospel. In fact, among The younger adults in this survey, those who are between the ages of about 20 years old and 40 years old, 73% of them said that they are confident in their ability to share their faith, which sounds great. Except for the fact that 47% of the same age group said that they felt like it was at least somewhat wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith. That means two-thirds of the people who feel confident in sharing their faith also feel like that it's not the right thing to do. That's the world we're living in. We live in a world where people are saying, Yes, I believe in Jesus yet they refuse to share their faith with the world that is around them. The Barnus study tells us that that fear is the number one factor that stops people from sharing their faith. And the truth is, is that talking about your faith, folks, can be a very personal thing. It requires us to open ourselves up and be somewhat vulnerable as we face the possibility of rejection, as we face the possibility of maybe offending somebody, as we face the possibility of being perceived as manipulative. Fear is why many people will say, you know, my faith is personal and it's so personal that I just don't want to talk about it. They'll say, my faith is too personal to talk about. But the truth is, folks, that true faith is very personal, personal, but it's not supposed to be private. True faith is personal, but it's not supposed to be private. The truth is, is that being a witness for Christ is a personal thing. And we see here in the book of Acts, That being a witness, number one, it's a personal ministry. If you look at verse 24, Paul says, I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. When Paul writes these words, He's been a disciple of Christ for about 20 years. It's been 20 years since he had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in those 20 years, he's been all over the region preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, we see that Paul has a lot of reason to believe that the culture around him is growing more and more hostile towards Christianity and more and more hostile towards the gospel. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 19, you're going to see that a riot had broke out in Ephesus because Paul had been preaching the gospel. So Paul knew that he was entering into a season where it would become more and more dangerous to share the gospel. In verse 23, Paul says that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Paul knew that it was getting hard and he knew it was going to get worse. But yet he says, my life is not worth living if I cannot share the gospel. Because that is the ministry, Paul says, that is the ministry that God has given to me. He was passionate about being a witness You say, well, of course he said that. I mean, that's the Apostle Paul. He's the greatest missionary and evangelist ever. This is the man who wrote most of the New Testament. That doesn't surprise me at all that Paul would say that, that Paul would have that kind of attitude towards evangelism. But as believers, you know, as often as we talk about Paul's call to be a witness... I think we often forget about our own call to do the same thing. You remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told His disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus says to His disciples That verse is not meant just for the super church planters, the super evangelists, the people like Paul. It wasn't just meant for those people, it was meant for you and me. It means that wherever you are, whether you're at home or in your community, in the marketplace, your place of business, wherever you go on God's green earth... All believers are called to be witnesses for Christ. There are people in this world, friends, that you're going to come in contact with that are never going to read the words of the Apostle Paul. There are going to be people that you are going to come in contact with that's never going to hear my voice. And they're never going to hear the voice of your Sunday school leader. But they will hear your voice. You see, being a witness is a personal ministry. We are all called to that ministry. Being a witness is also a personal mandate. Look at verse 27 when Paul says, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. You see, being a witness for Christ is a very personal thing, but it's also a very personal responsibility that we have to be representatives of God's truth. You know, over the years I've I've found that many, many people who present the gospel tend to present the gospel from one extreme or the other. I see people who who go to the extreme when they present the gospel. I'm talking about every single Sunday you have those people and all they preach is fire and brimstone and fire and brimstone and you better be afraid. And, And they get you so afraid of God that you feel like you need to get saved or baptized every time there is an invitation. Now I'm not saying that Warning people about hell isn't important because it is. It's very important. But folks, there's more to the gospel than whether or not you go to the place of torment. You see, that's part of the gospel message, but that's not where the gospel ends. Because the gospel demonstrates love and redemption and purpose. And so so on one hand you have The the fire and brimstone people, and that's all they talk about. But then on the other hand, you have the hippy-dippy, peace, love, and hugs people. They're the ones that will tell you, hey, don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your finances. All you got to do is pray this little prayer right here, and everything will be okay. No, you don't have to understand anything. Just say these magic words. Because the truth is, friends, that God is just too loving to send anybody to hell. He's just too loving to let anybody suffer any harm. He's too loving and peaceful to let any of you have any difficulties if you are a believer in Christ. There are those people out there that preach that kind of gospel. God is so loving that He's not going to be just. There are other people on the other side of the spectrum, those fire and brimstone, and they preach God's justice and His wrath and sometimes neglect to emphasize God's love. But the truth is, is that that God is equally loving and just. See, that's why God sent Jesus. The Bible tells us God sent Jesus because He loves us. The Bible also tells us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And by doing so, He served the cause of justice in the eyes of God. Because God is the God who says, I will not let sin go unpunished. Because of that, Jesus suffered the punishment for our sins. Because God is equally loving and just. And as believers in Christ, friends, we're called and we are commanded and we are mandated to be His ambassadors. That means that we're to represent Him. We're to represent His values, His principles. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.'" Comma. It doesn't just end there. There's a comma. There's more to it. "'Teaching them.'" Teaching them what? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Friends, we are called to share the gospel and we are called to represent the full counsel of Scripture. We are called and mandated as representatives of God to not shrink back from telling people the truth. See, when Paul shared the gospel with the Gentiles in Ephesus, he told them that Jesus loved them, but he also told them that the doctrines of Christ would force them to choose between a life of following Christ and a life of worshiping the idols of this world. A life of Christ or a life of false gods. A life of worshiping the one true God or a life of worshiping and chasing after many, many false gods of the culture. See, the Gentiles believe that there are many ways to heaven. They could worship many gods. But Paul had to be the one to tell them that that's just not true. He was the one that had to tell them, you've been deceived. And Jesus is the only way of salvation. In Acts 19, we know they rioted. Now Paul didn't want the riots, but he says, my conscience is clean. Can you imagine how you would feel if a riot was incited because of something you said? And Paul, as he thinks back on that, says, My conscience, my heart is clean because I know that I did everything I could to tell them the truth. Now think about this also. Paul was a man of Jewish heritage. He had been a Pharisee. Paul was an expert in the Old Testament prophets. And I have to wonder, when Paul wrote Acts 20, 27, I have to wonder if he might not have had the words of Ezekiel 3, 18 in the back of his mind. Because in Ezekiel 3, verse 18, it says this, If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his sin. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. Paul says, I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole plan of God. I was mandated to do a job and I did what I was told to to do how often friends do you hold back from telling someone the truth about God because you are afraid of how they will react you know dr gary mcintosh is a man who's considered to be one of the leading researchers of church growth and one of the leading researchers of how people are coming to Christ in Modern times, and in a book that I recently read by him, he said this: He said, "Effective evangelism is a balance between the truth and relationship. Effective evangelism is a balance between truth and relationship." Friends, I found that to be to be very true in my own life. I found that the more a person knows you and The more a person trusts you, the more likely they are to let you speak into their lives. And the more likely they are to consider, at least consider and hear out what you're saying, even when they don't agree with your point of view. The reason Paul was willing to die for the gospel that he preached was because he believed it was the truth. And he believed as he told the Romans in Romans chapter 1. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Friends, I want to ask you something this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, do you believe? If you are a person that says, I am a Christian, are you a person that believes that the gospel... Is the power of God unto salvation? If so, why not be a witness to it? Because listen, the world around us is not talking about the gospel these days, they're talking about everything but the gospel. We live in a world that seems to think that all of the things that are going on and all of the causes that are around us today somehow are a substitute for the gospel. Not all of them are bad things, but friends, I want you to understand there's no substitute for the gospel. Moral pep talks are not a substitute for the gospel. The social justice movement is not a substitute for the gospel. Having what you consider to be good or the right politics is not a substitute for the gospel. Political correctness is not a substitute for the gospel. Canceling something that you don't like is no substitute for the gospel. Our cultural traditions are not a substitute for the gospel. Conversations about what the universe is doing is not a substitute for the gospel. Environmentalism is not a substitute for the gospel. And not offending somebody is not a substitute for the gospel. Because there is no substitute for the gospel. There's no substitute for the truth that is revealed in the Word of God. And we have a responsibility, a mandate, to represent the fullness of God's Word. You see, sharing the gospel is a personal ministry. It's a personal mandate. But number three, it's a personal message. It's a personal message. Look at verse 32. Paul says, And now I commit you to God and to the message of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Listen, friends, when you witness, you are sharing about what God has done in your life. You're sharing about how Jesus has saved you personally. How God has redeemed you. How God has built you personally. How God is continuing to sanctify you. It is a personal message. It's a message about the gospel. and About how God has rescued us from the penalty of sin. In February 1949 a very neglected 16-year-old boy or 16-year-old young man was wandering through the woods along the shores of a lake in East Tennessee. He was drinking that day, and in his drunken stupor, the boy committed a heinous crime. And he shot and killed a man. And after this 16-year-old killed the man, he robbed him and he ran off. The 16-year-old was arrested, but because he was so neglected by his parents, his parents could not even remember how old he was. Couldn't know exactly what his age was. So it was assumed that he was 17 or 18 years old. He was tried as an adult and sentenced to life in prison. When he was arrested, the 16-year-old confessed to his horrendous crime, a crime that left a woman... Widowed, a crime that left two children fatherless, a crime that brought with it a life sentence for himself. All that because he had decided to rob a stranger who had been kind to him. And you know, he robbed that stranger. You know how much money he had gotten from the man's wallet. Five whole dollars. Five dollars. All that damage. He traded his life and the lives of countless others, took another man's life, all for five dollars. And the truth is is that whether it be $5 or $5 million, no amount of money is worth the pain and the suffering that, that the families endured. No amount of money is worth taking the life of an innocent human being. No amount of money is worth it. But this case reminds me of the damage that sin causes. The truth is is that most people will never struggle with the effects of the sin of murder. But how many of us have made the decision to do something that we know is wrong? Because maybe for even just a split second, somewhere along the way on the front side of sin, we thought that it was going to benefit us somehow. And then on the other side of sin, we know that it just wasn't worth it. On the other side of sin, we understand the cost, the effect that it has on our family, the effect that it has on the people around us, the effect that that sin has on us, and we realize that the cost just isn't worth it. That 16-year-old boy was sentenced to life in prison because of the crimes that he committed. Scripture tells us that whether, whether or not any of us ever commit the crime of murder, all of us have committed crimes against God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripturally, we have committed crimes against God. Crimes like lying and theft and and unfaithfulness and dishonor, dishonoring our parents, coveting other people's things. Look around in the world today. Our world struggles with covetousness. But we struggle with many, many things. All of these things are crimes against God. And Scripture tells us that that there's not one of us that is righteous. No, not one. The Bible tells us that our payment for sin is is death. That our sentence for our crimes against God is death. Physical death and that we will one day die. Our physical bodies will cease. But also spiritual death in that those who break God's laws must pay the eternal penalty of God's judgment. John 3 tells us that unless your sin debt is forgiven, every one of us, unless something else happens, every one of us, if left to our own devices, if left alone, we all will one day pay the penalty to our sins. John 3 also tells us that God loves us and He sent Jesus to die in our place. When Jesus died on the cross, He fulfilled the justice of God by paying the penalty for our sins. And friends, that forgiveness of the penalty of sin is applied to any and all who would come to God through faith in Jesus. That means that when you trust in Jesus' death on the cross, when you trust and believe that Jesus and Jesus alone was good enough to satisfy the justice of God and to redeem you from your sins, when you believe that to the point that you are willing to turn from your sin and become His disciple, the Bible says that you will be saved. Folks, that is the message of the gospel. That's how God saved me. If you know Jesus as your Savior, that's how God saved you. And if you have friends that are lost, that is how God will save them. You see, it's a personal message for the one who's the witness, but it's also a personal message for the one who hears it. You know that 16-year-old boy who was sentenced to life back in 1949? Well, eventually he was paroled on the condition that he would work on a stock farm in Tennessee. So he went to work on that farm for several years. Now he had more freedoms than he did when he was in jail, yet he was still confined to a life working on that farm, forced to be there, never allowed to leave, living in confinement, still imprisoned. But in 1968, the State Pardon and Parole Board decided to free that now young man from his sentence. They decided that he could go free, that he didn't have to live in prison anymore. But here's the problem. It was 10 years before that man learned of his release. Somewhere along the line, someone was mandated to inform that man, but for whatever reason, it never got to him. He never got the message. Somebody was supposed to come and didn't. And finally, someone came and told him he was free. Now, he didn't have to go. He could have stayed where he was. He could have spent 10 more years or 20 more years on the farm working as a prisoner. He had a choice. He could have stayed right where he was. But the the truth is, all he needed to hear is, you don't have to be a prisoner to your sin any longer. Friend, you're free to go. And I wonder how many people are out there right now who just need a messenger to come to them and tell them, you don't have to live without hope. All they need is a messenger to come to them and say, you don't have to live unloved and feeling unpurposed. You don't have to do this alone. They need somebody to tell them that they have a future because Jesus died on the cross for their sins. How many people need to hear the words of Paul when he told the Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you could be saved. Maybe this morning you are with us right now and that's a message that you needed to hear. Maybe this morning you need to believe upon the name of Jesus. You can do that right where you sit, right where you are today. You can pray to Him, confess your sins, ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to guide you and turn from your sins and commit yourself to following Him. Friends, where would you be today if God hadn't sent somebody to talk to you about Jesus? If God had not sent to you a messenger who witnessed to you and shared the gospel? Romans ten fourteen says, How then, Shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a proclaimer? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Friends, you want to grow your faith? Be a witness for Jesus. Let's pray.